0: A segue chapter into our time of, uh, we will begin our Christmas sermons next Sunday. This is kind of a preparation for it in many ways, just so happened that it fell that way. So it's Genesis 35, we will read the whole chapter, and it'll be good to read some of the good news from this chapter after last week. Can I get an amen? Amen. Let's stand together for the reading of God's holy and errant word. Hear God's word to you this very morning. Then God said to Jacob, Go up to Bethel and settle there, and build an, an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Get rid of the foreign gods you have with you, and purify yourselves, and change your clothes. Then come and let us go up to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and who has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had, and the rings in their ears, and Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. Then they set out, and the terror of God fell upon the towns all around them, so that no one pursued them. Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. There he built an altar, and he called the place El Bethel, because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. Now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died and was buried under the oak below Bethel, So it was named Alam Bakuth. After Jacob returned from Padam Aram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. God said to him, Your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you and kings will come from your body. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac I also give to you. And I will give this land to your descendants after you. Then God went up from him at the place where he had talked with him. Jacob set up a stone pillar at the place where God had talked with him, and he poured out a drink offering on it. He also poured oil on it. Jacob called the place where God had talked with him Bethel. Then they moved on from Bethel. While they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel began to give birth and had great difficulty. And as she was having great difficulty in childbirth, birth, the midwife said to her, Don't be afraid, for you have another son. As she breathed her last, for she was dying, she named her son Ben-Oni, but his father named him Benjamin. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath that is, Bethlehem. Over her tomb, Jacob set up a pillar, and to this day, that pillar marks Rachel's tomb. Israel moved on again and pitched his tent beyond Migdal Eder. While Israel was living in that region, Reuben went in and slept with his father's concubine, Bilhah, and Israel heard of it. Jacob had 12 sons, the sons of Leah, Reuben, the firstborn of Jacob, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin. The sons of Rachel's maidservant Bilhah, Dan, and Naphtali. The sons of Leah's maidservant Zilpah, Gad, and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Paddam Aram. Jacob came home to his father Isaac in Mamre, near Kariath Arba, that is, Hebron where Abraham and Isaac had stayed. Isaac lived 180 years. Then he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people, old and full of years. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Thus ends the reading of God's holy, authoritative word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. As you can see, we needed to read the whole thing to get the punch of the passage. And what I want to begin saying is that no matter how old I get, and believe me, I feel older and older every day, no matter how long I've been saved, I'll never get over how surprising grace is. To be precise, the God of grace never ceases to amaze me. And although he's shown me his grace again and again and again over the last 33 years that I've known him through faith in Christ, his grace and his mercy, listen, they still surprise me. And the truth is we should never get over that wonder that God would have mercy on a sinner like me on a regular basis and not hold my sins against me. Well, that's what we see here in in Genesis 35. The more I meditated on it, the more I studied it, the more it just slapped me in the face. Here we have a child of God, and not just an ordinary child of God. We have one of the three patriarchs of the Christian religion. You know, God is known as what? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And here we have the third patriarch being completely bowled over by the mercy and the grace of his God who calls himself in this passage, God Almighty. That's the God. We began to see last time, and I really don't want to go over that too much more, after the horrendous events that took place in Genesis 34, particularly Jacob's son's brutal response to the defiling of their sister. And then we need to see, as I mentioned last week, Jacob's serious failure to seek God's face for a better alternative on how to respond to such wickedness. And his failure to give his sons an alternative, he rebukes his sons for their evil, but he never gave them an alternative, did he? He didn't give them any guidance. Even after that, here's the interesting thing, and I think we could miss this if we just read it perfunctorily, and that's this, God speaks to Jacob. He doesn't leave them. And he doesn't just remain silent. You know how sometimes as couples we give the silent treatment? There's no silent treatment here. But there's something more surprising. I began to deal with it a bit last week. Instead of words of condemnation, instead of words of discipline, we get words of what from God? Invitation. God says, now go to Bethel where I first met you. When you were running away and, and fear of your life from your brother Esau. remember I showed up? I was there. Go there again. I'm still your bulwark. I'm still your savior. I'm still your protector and I'm still your God. And it's interesting he brings him there to do what? To continue to promise the redemptive plan that he promised to who? His grandpa? and his father, and now him. Now intellectually, it shouldn't be surprising, because by this point, Jacob should know, as we all with our good theology should know, God always does what he says he's going to do. We shouldn't be shocked. Intellectually. You remember, this is what God told Jacob in chapter 28, verse 15. Remember the whole stairway to heaven? Remember the angels ascending and descending and God was there and he has this great vision. That's his first meeting in Bethel. Well, I, I want to remind you what God said to him. This is the promise that Jacob would have known. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. So all that stuff, oh, we shouldn't have went to Shechem. No, God said he would be with him wherever he went. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until what I have done, what I have promised you. See, here's the cool thing about God, or one of the million cool things about God. He's not like us. Amen. If he says he's going to do something, you know what, even the gates of hell can't stop him. But you got to understand we are made of flesh and blood. And even as saved people, we have a sinful nature. And so Jacob was definitely wondering if the promise held true at this point. After his son's reprehensible behavior and his failure to give them a better option for dealing with his daughter's defilement. And we know this. How do we know this? Because in chapter 34, if you remember, when he rebukes his sons, his fear comes out. What is he afraid of? He says, All the surrounding towns are going to find out about this thing you did, and they're going to overpower us. They're more numerous than us, and they're going to kill us. Jacob was afraid. And it's in the midst of this fear, in the midst of this doubt, in the midst of this struggle, which sin brought about, by the way, it's then that God reiterates his command get up. What are you doing? go to Bethel. And I'll tell you what, Jacob couldn't be any more happy to hear those words. Now how do I know that? The Bible doesn't say, Jacob was happy. How do I know Jacob was happy? How do we know? we got to take a look at his response. We've got to understand there's more than meets the eye and more that's being communicated by these words of God than we might know in a perfunctory reading. Basically, this is what God is saying. I'm still God, Jacob. I'm the same God who was there for you when you were fleeing for your life. Remember that? I'm the same God who met you in that place, the place where it made such a profound impact on you that you yourself labeled it, you renamed it the house of God. The plans I have for you are still on. I want you to go back there where we first met and build an altar there. In other words, I want you to come into my presence and worship me. I want you to renew the covenant. That's what's going on here. I always re-up. Now it's your turn to come and re-up. You know, I know in some circles there's the whole practice of rededicating yourself to Christ. Well, there's some truth to it. But I would say we have to do that on a daily basis. We've got to re-up. I often talk about when we go through the ups and downs of this church uh, plant, there's so many times i got to re-up. Well, guess what? As believers, we got to re-up. And God tells us it's still on. The promises are still valid. They're still true. Because notice what Jacob does. This is what basically Jacob does. Hey, everybody, did you hear that? (laughs) That's what he does. He says the plan's still in effect. God's purpose is still in play. Now get rid of all those foreign gods. Watch your clothes. Purify yourselves. We got an appointment to keep with the God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. That's Jacob's confession. Did you know that? Those are Jacob's words. The God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. This is what one commentator Uh, John Salheimer says. He says, that epitaph, verse 3, serves as a fitting summary of the picture of God that has emerged from the Jacob narratives. Jacob was in constant distress, yet in each instance, God remained faithful to his promise and delivered him. (sighs) Truly, when I say my brothers and sisters, I mean that. Those of us here who know Christ and we are united by faith in him and have the same Heavenly Father. What about you? Do you forget when you get in trouble? Do you forget when you're in times of sadness and trial and seemingly impossible circumstances that He is the God who has been with you? And He has answered you again and again and again. You want proof? You're here. He has not treated you as your sins deserve. Listen, my son always says this horrible thing. What's the worst that can happen? Believe me, it could get worse. (laughs) Believe me. So Jacob's response is not, hey, cool, that's cool. God's not going to judge us. Let's just kick back. No, this is his response. Clean house, family. Because God has not treated us as our sins deserve, but instead continues to call us into his presence to worship him and to call upon his name. That means the promises are still good. And you know what's interesting? When it talks about the household gods, do you remember who brought some of those into the camp? Some of you have been with us in Genesis. It was Rachel. Remember she hit him? So apparently Jacob knew about it at this point, And he says, Let's bury them where they belong, in a pit, under the tree. And, let's, and you know what else is interesting? It says their earrings. Where do you think they got those from? Well, you remember they pillaged Shechem? Jacob knew. He said, yeah, see all that fine jewelry, that junk you have, that was dedicated to false gods? I want it out of here. Because God doesn't want that stuff. You're going to serve the living God. You've got to leave the false gods behind. And it's interesting, this is a call to the church. In the book of Acts, we don't have time to turn to it now. In the book of Acts, it says the people gathered together and they took all their witchcraft material and they burned it. Guess who those people were? The church, not the world. Cleaning needs to begin in the house of faith first. We could pray all we want for the world.